All right, guys, I appreciate you tuning in today. Just real quick, um, there is an audio glitch roughly about the 30-minute mark where, where Jake's um, internet gave us a hiccup. Uh, I tried to patch it together the best I could. Other than that, though, this thing is pretty solid. I think uh, you guys will get a lot out of it. Appreciate you tuning in. All right, guys, welcome back to the Whitetail Experience Podcast. This is your host, Byron Horton. And we've got a good episode today. It's been a minute since we got on here. And um, I'm actually joined by Jake Bush. Jake has got promoted to some sort of co-hosting spot on this podcast. Uh, we've been talking for 2021. And I think he's going to be on and regular enough. So, so I said, Jake, you, you can be promoted to one of the co-hosting spots. Jake, welcome to the show. That's awesome, man. I appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. It's just you and I talk on a, a pretty regular basis now. I know... Uh, Oh, you, you even shared some waypoints with me and Dave. And, and so, yeah, I, I, uh, I think this is going to be a, a regular thing for us in 2021. And um, we should also promote your film. You know, you recently launched your, uh, your 2020 buck kill. That's uh, go ahead and plug where people can find that. Yep. So it's called The Grind. Um, it's kind of just about the trials and tribulations of the 2020 season. I definitely had some highs and lows. Uh, Ended up grinding it out and talking with you a lot and finished it off strong. And that video is going to be on the Legends of the Hunt page on YouTube. And you can find a link to that on either my Facebook or Jake Bush Solo on Instagram as well. Yeah, so, so definitely check that out. Uh, I, I have watched it, I think, twice, maybe three times. Uh, really enjoy it. And, and definitely, too, like I gave you a lot of props from, from year one to year two. I, I, I think you took it to another level on the videography and on the storytelling side of things. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I definitely learned a lot from you in the process and from a couple of good Facebook pages and stuff. And that's the cool thing right now. We've got a bunch of good, uh, guys that are really good at this that are bouncing ideas off each other and stuff. And the opportunity for growth is pretty much endless right now. So it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so guys, definitely check that out. The other thing I wanted to mention here, if you find yourself maybe with a little tax refund money or a stimulus check and you want to burn it on some hunting gear, uh, code WEXP at checkout for Lone Wolf Custom Gear. If you're going to pick up uh, any sort of gear, I appreciate that. Um, Jake, let's get into the show. And, you know, I think you and I bounce back overall big picture thoughts a lot of times. Looking at the 2020 season, what do you think was some of the, like the key moments or key things you took away, uh, and especially going to the fact that, that it was more of a grind rut style versus a, a traditional first couple of weeks of season kill? Yeah. Um, so there's that, there's quite a bit to take away from that for me. Uh, a lot of that is really the importance of the last two to three weeks before season for my style of hunting. You know, I was a little bit behind the eight ball, if you will, with uh, my elk trip. And this year coming into season again, I don't think I'm going to let that happen. I'll plan my hunts out west a little bit differently if I can. Um, I really want to be fine-tuned and have all my ducks in a row going into that first week when I can really pounce on a good buck. I, I still ended up getting close to that deer a couple times when I was chasing that big 11-point, um, which, by the way, he did survive all the gun seasons. He's alive. I know oh he's alive. Gosh. So. He's, he's going to be a giant. I'm fired up already for it. But that brings me to my next point, too, of, of what I learned was really getting hung up on a deer. You know, I'm sure that you probably noticed that as well, that I hunted that single ridge system a lot, even though I had a lot of 140, 150-inch, four- or five-year-old deer figured out. I, I chased that one buck a lot, 
And come November when he took off, then it kind of left me, you know, in the dust and I had to figure out some sort of game plan from that point. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, those are, those are some good lessons I would say. If I look at, uh, my last two bucks, I was not hunting that particular deer. Um, both times I was in there after something of a higher caliber, but notice there was two or three others that I would shoot. Um, I don't know, maybe the, the average guy or the, the kind of rut guy, maybe that tips the scales the best in their percentage, but it's, it's tough to not want to push your skills after one single deer, you know, like, especially like generally that one single deer is, 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 is a high caliber, could be your best buck. It's, I, I go back and forth on, on, on what's the best uh, for me. And I think it's probably all about personal challenge at that point. What do you want to get out of it? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's, that's that's exactly what it comes down to and honestly I mean earlier in season it's definitely more attainable to target a deer but you start getting in the rut and at that point when I killed my deer kind of like the middle-ish to late rut and any respectful buck that walks by is game on at that point I mean it's it's getting late in season at that point so yeah and and you and I talked to um, Heath Cisco talks about this is he sets the bar very very high starting a, a season and then he does kind of shift it to, to later half of the year to what's available and can he find a good buck at that point or a bigger buck. Um, but, but he sets the bar, I think, for himself very high just based on his personal scale and then scales it down uh, to what's available or, or what's the best buck he can hunt in the, in the later half of the year. And somebody like myself, I don't have a, a wall of giants like him. Like uh, I still learn a, a tremendous amount from going through that final 30 seconds so, so I, I, I think, you know, a mix probably is where I'm at as a hunter. What about yourself? Yeah, I would say the same, honestly. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely going to be picky until I feel like the season's starting to slip away. And I always want to have that experience and that, like you said, the final 30 seconds, you, you learn so much from every opportunity you have in a mature buck within 30 yards that, you know, the way that being a self filmer, the way that you move your camera or that you set your focal range or that the way you pick up your bow, where do you draw back when he's behind a specific tree, what kind of shot you have, the blood tracking, everything that goes into it's really important. I think that it would be better to shoot some sort of deer by the end of the year as opposed to just have a season where you are chasing a giant all year and don't end up getting him. Um, but that, I mean, that, that has a lot to do with your, your goals at the time. You know, if I would have known that that buck was right in that area, maybe I would have been a little more picky. But at that point, I really wasn't sure. And I was more than willing to take the buck that came out. So um, yeah. was pretty happy with that. Okay. Um, let's bounce to a positive. What do you think is a, is a, a theme or multiple themes looking at your 2020 season that you think you did well, or that you felt was, man, that was dialed this year. That helped me do X, Y, and Z. Uh, setup. Setup was the most dialed it's ever been with the custom gear DS5. I mean, I can't, I can't say enough good things about it. I try to, I've got a bunch of buddies that are constantly asking me, you know, what's the setup? What stand do you want? Like, where are you going to go with it? I'm, I'm dialed in with my stand. You know, I can saddle hunt out of it. These sticks are awesome. It's compact. It's light. I can get in thick brush. I couldn't be more happy with that. Um, my grind factor, you know, the ability to really dig deep and put on the miles and kind of think outside the box. I was really happy with that because I've never had to test myself to that extent before. It was nice that I could see that I could carry, you know, the, the hard work throughout scouting right into season as well and kind of keep up with that. 
Um, I learned a lot of really cool things though. I mean, I, I learned that if I get stuck in a rut situation or maybe I'm in a different state during the rut, that I'm not going to completely abandon betting tactics because that's what, that's, you know, I brought it back to betting tactics and that's what got me my buck at the end of the year. Where if I would have set a certain terrain feature that I had in mind, I wouldn't have killed that deer. I, he, he came the opposite way as opposed to that good terrain feature. So there's a lot of good things that came from that um, that I want to kind of, you know, dive into a little bit more this season as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. You circled back to that besides, um, early season you know kind of uh the, that two week prior period it, it, do you have maybe a post-it note or a whiteboard note of some sort that you're like okay next year i want to continue to focus on on this or is there a, another sidebar uh, focus point from the, the those prior weeks of season in addition to what you talked about yeah i would say 100 percent. there's quite a few things um the one of the big ones honestly that, that bit me a couple times this year was wind directions and one thing that i'm going to carry through this really summer scouting would be kind of more where i'm going to do this but is actual wind mapping yeah. um i get i get in a couple areas and me and you had a couple conversations on the way to hunt where it was like hey man i've got this spot where i've got a 15 mile an hour west wind and this buck's bedded in this bowl but the wind is blowing over top of this whole ridge system and creating somewhat of a vacuum and almost sucking up that whole drainage back eat or back to the west the way the wind's coming because the wind is coming over top of that a certain way so i want to get in there and do a lot more wind mapping on specific bedding locations because you start getting that surge effect and it, it bit me a couple times on right at about boone and crockett class bucks this year um yeah. I, I saw them a few times i got busted a few times doing it so that's that's a big thing and i think that's a, a pro and a con honestly i mean um but yeah, besides that, there, there's going to be a whole bunch of things, honestly. Sure, sure. Yeah, I um, I have a couple notes on, on that as well. And uh, wind mapping is something that is on my improvement list, uh, especially in off-season scouting. Um, you know, if I look at my notes and my evolution and that side of things, I've done really well at, at mapping everything in an area, you know, dropping multiple pins, marking little details as far as maybe an access route or uh, a better creek crossing. But I definitely think noting what it's doing when I'm in there, uh, some sort of note that, that would be, okay, it was a north wind at nine miles per hour. It was true. You know, just some additional notes on what the wind is doing while I'm in there in my off-season scouting, I think is a is an area for myself to improve on, um, you know, and that's just higher level. And, and and it's easy to get lazy, I feel like, if I look at my, my off-seasons, I'm walking all these hills, and why am I not throwing extra milkweed and putting that extra note in there? It, it's something that makes perfect sense, but I just, I don't think I've done it enough. Yeah, I'm right in the same boat, honestly. But, you know, we, we are students of the game. We're, we're trying to get better at the craft. Um, so, 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 so yeah, that's just an, an area I think, uh, I can improve on as well. And, and, you know, that's something that may take a hunt or two. I think I've heard Heath talk about that because he hunts some, a, a decent amount of hill country. And, you know, I think he's even noticed sometimes with no leaves on the trees, areas act a little different, um, because it, the, the wind kind of can move through the bowl systems a little easier without getting you know losing all that energy with all the leaves on the you know the trees so that's yeah that's that's a bullet point as mine as well 
you know, another area that, that I think about that I learned from you was actually recently. Um, I was doing Kentucky muzzleloader hunting and I had, I, I had texted, called you and I said, man, like I'm fatigued. I was fatigued on what was a day, like late day two, day three. And then I calculated out, I'd done some serious miles. I think, uh, the one day I did like nine ish miles and, and probably half ish of that was with stand sticks and camera gear. And, uh, I said, my legs were starting to, to, to cramp up. And I, I, I mentally, I was like, no, dude, I've got, you know, another whole afternoon. I want to keep pushing and, and physically it was starting to, to become a little more difficult than I wanted it. And the, uh, growler water bottle system was, was, is on my ad to, uh, oh, to, to look at for, for, for hunts like where I'm going to be back in all day. And, um, talk a little bit about that. Cause that was a cool, uh, learning gear item to add to the arsenal for me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so the grail, um, grail. what it is. So it's, a basically like a compression filter. So you have your outer shell that you put your water in and then you've got the inner shell, which contains the filter and that filters the water as you compress down on that. So you have clean drinkable water. Um, I mean, it's great. I use them out in Montana. They're awesome. Mm-hmm. We use them uh, out in Ohio. We use them in New York, all over the place. And it how really does, helps out. How does the water taste? Like if you pull it from a, a fast moving creek or river or, or something like that, do you taste I, the difference? I've never been able to taste the difference, honestly. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that when I'm out hiking around or hunting, I normally have some sort of like flavored electrolyte tablets with me too. Okay. And I'm, I'm dumping those in there as well so I've heard, I've, got little, I've heard guys doing the mios or whatever to help with some of the filtered flavor yeah yeah and and on the other side of that now with the electrolytes you have you know something that's going to help you sustain a little bit of more a little bit more energy and you're not going to get as fatigued and stuff like that out there so just the ability to have a lightweight drinkable system is going to help a lot i mean you know i might drink on a 10 mile day i might drink a mile or a gallon of water yeah. And I, you can't possibly pack that in. So that exactly. helps out. Now, now guys, the electrolytes Jake's are uh, referring to, it's almost like uh, if anyone comes from a sports background, like the Gatorade powder that, that, you know, your, your school or whatever used to mix up those big uh, vessels, but they, they, they sell at like a GNC or, or I don't know, you probably order from Amazon, but it's a little flavored powder with like one scoop per 16 ounces. Um, but you essentially add it in there. It, ba- it makes your water taste like Gatorade. Is it's probably a little bit healthier as far as what what it's doing. Uh, but it it tastes good. I, I I have some, and and that's what Jake's referring to. But I've heard the out west guys talk about adding stuff to their filtered water to help them consume the water um, at a higher volume because it does taste better. So um, that was something that I think I need to. Um, you know, I felt like my muzzleloader trip in Kentucky was cut a little short. You know, could I have done an extra drive for Dave and Andy to maybe kick up a buck or, you know, I just, it was one of those things that, that mentally I didn't want to admit defeat. And, and, um, I did experience some crampage, if you will. Um, moving on, Jake, uh, uh any other real big positives for, uh, your takeaways, uh, for 2020? Your setup was dialed, your filming yeah. gear was dialed, um, I don't know. Any other hacks or, or big takeaways? No, not really hacks. I mean, I, I know of a lot of bucks that did make it that I kind of was starting to get dialed in by late October. 
that I think I'll have a good shot on next year. Uh, that's, that's pretty exciting for me. There's two areas in particular where I was chasing around just some real giant bucks that both of them are alive. Hopefully I can find at least one shed to see how big they actually are in person. Sure. Um, but yeah, besides that, I mean, it's, for me, it's going to switch up a lot. I'm, I moved about an hour to the East, so that's going to change up a little bit of my routine. I'm going to scout a lot of new ground this year. Um, it, it should be exciting. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to get into some off season stuff here in literally the next couple of minutes. Um, I want, Oh, what was I going to ask you? Oh, Oh, I, I, uh, I don't, I, I don't think I got anything, but we'll, we'll move on. So looking at 2021, do you have any out of state plans? Do you have any overall plans to maybe try and hit two whitetail states? Yeah, so actually maybe even more than two, potentially. Uh, we were talking about Kentucky quite a bit, and that's kind of got me fired up. There's some pretty good areas of Kentucky that I think we could chase around some bucks. Uh, probably go up to Michigan again. Michigan was – it was actually a pretty fun trip. I really liked the terrain. You know, I love hill country, but I feel like some of that swampland or big marshland is a little bit easier to get on bucks quickly because there's, you know, you're on transition lines, you're on the points, you, if islands have oaks, things like that, where you can really get away from people pretty quickly. You can judge wind a little bit better from what I've seen. So I like the terrain up there. I like the challenge a lot. You know, I also like the fact that any respectable three-year-old deer is probably going to get laid down with my bow. Sure. Um, I'm going to scout Indiana in probably a couple weeks or a month, something like that couple areas out there I really want to check out and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of just try to stay centralized to Ohio as much as possible and just kind of venture out to these surrounding states that are within you know a two to five hour drive yeah um something I found uh, at least this year having um a baby boy at home is it was easier for me to do single day missions than than I had an Illinois tag and it you know that that trip kind of required a a a 24 hour absence versus I could, I could hunt uh, Kentucky or Indiana and be back by three, four o'clock in the afternoon. Um, at least with my current life, uh, that might be a trend I, I see going forward. Um, I remembered what I wanted to ask you and this kind of parallels what you just talked about. Do you think 2020, you know, I know you chased uh, several bucks and, and you kind of, Oh, spread yourself you know finding these higher caliber bucks versus i find myself maybe narrowing in on three four core areas and because but i'm also okay with finding a, a a 125 to 135 if he's the biggest buck uh that that's fine with me do you think there there's a fine line in there and spreading yourself too thin versus i don't know uh not not you know scouting enough if you will yeah, I'm going to kind of contradict myself because we had a podcast last year and I really talked about how, you know, I would put the miles on and get to all these different places and find bucks and how I really at that point hadn't spread myself too thin. Now this year, 100%. I mean, I've got cameras that are still out that I almost don't even don't even want to go grab because they're so unrelevant to me. They're like almost three hours away. If they're there, you know, that's another thing. If the cameras are even there. But I never got down to those areas, even though I had 150-inch deer on camera. Yeah. So I do have a limit. And I think that going forward, what I would like to do is find 
one or two areas, possibly three areas that have bucks of the caliber I'm after. And instead of trying to find like last year, you know, 15 bucks of that caliber, maybe I only try to find five and I really dial in on those five areas. Yeah. Maybe I really fine tune those bucks patterns and a couple different things like that. And that might help me a little bit because I do feel like I could have spent more time in certain areas and a big reason for that was the fact that I was gone for a few weeks, but that's going to, that's going to happen from time to time. So yeah, I think, I think moving forward, that's going to be a big thing is, you know, like I know that one buck lived, I'm really going to scout that area hard and fine tune all of the other beds that he has. Cause I watched him come off of a couple different beds throughout season. Mm-hmm. I want to find those specific beds and try to find that first Oak tree that he's hitting or that first briar patch that he's, that he's browsing on, whatever it is, and try to really dial in that specific buck. Yeah. So if I could find a few of those, it'd be perfect. It's funny. Some, um, oh, some, like one of my big off-season goals is, is coming from one of our, probably our very first talk or maybe even Instagram live we did. And that is uh, marking those potential six out of 10 buck beds. I think I think that was something that really opened my eyes that, that I walk by a lot of these and I'm like, man, that might be, and I don't mark it or I don't think about it. And then, you know, I think my skill sets to the point where scouting trail cam, something, a visual sighting, like you said, would turn that buck bed into something better. And if I look at my on X, there are probably a lot of those points that I should have been dropping in the, in the last couple of years. And I just, I don't have them. So that's, that's uh, definitely is something I'm going to be looking at a lot harder is, is maybe improving that bed hunting style game, um, you know, and, and trying to mirror some of what you do um, in, in that aspect. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's never perfect. And that's the thing, you know, sometimes you could go in there day one or two and shoot an absolute giant buck over his bed. And, you know, it's the greatest thing that ever happened. But you could also go into that same area the next year chase around a buck that might even be bigger, <laughs> see him three or four times and just always be a bet off. And it's actually kind of funny. You brought up the six out of 10 buck bed thing. Cause that's something I've had in my head for a while. I watched that buck come out of a bed. That was one of the, what I thought was a six out of 10 bed compared to my three, 10 mm, out of 10 beds. That's I watched interesting. him those a couple of times and I got to get in there and figure out why he was there. So was he there because I was targeting those better beds or was he there because there was a white Oak tree dropping on the Oak flat before he got to me? You know, he was in a, he was in a spot where I really wasn't expecting him and he did it twice and I didn't capitalize on it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. That's, that's actually interesting because that's like real world information right there. Um, that he didn't come from the 10 out of 10 area. Um, it reminds me a little bit of a hunting public episode. This is might even been when they were on Midwest whitetail, but uh, I can remember they were hunting a buck nest and they had seen a couple other bucks and, and Aaron goes, well, the best bed still nothing has came out of. And, and I think that night later, a, a, a Magnum stood up out of the best bed and um, you know, he had kind of called that one to be the best bed, but I could see where maybe that does shift uh, year to year tree falls weird in the woods and so the entry exit path changes just slightly um hell maybe a maybe a mean raccoon that li- lives in one of those oaks is that you know that buck decides he's not going to put up with fighting for that guy for acorns and he shifts oh. over 30 40 yards i can see that a possum man that- <laughs> that's right that possum screwed you <laughs> that possum 
it took my booner away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we talked a little bit about plans there. Um, let's get into some off-season scouting because right now it is early to mid-ish January. This will probably go out next week. Um, so you're looking at mid-ish January. And I, I feel a touch behind the eight ball as far as miles put on at this point. But uh, I also know this is a year I'm probably not going to put on as many miles as I have been. So that's that being said, um, what is your goal for for scouting? You had talked about you know you've moved, so some of your areas may shift a bit. Uh, speak big picture. Any major goals for 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 2021 scouting? So the the really only, the only scouting goal that I have at this point is just trying to put like a certain amount of time in the woods. Me and you have talked quite a bit about mileage and quantifying and stuff like that, and I think it's a really good topic in general. Um, you know, we we basically all know all the tactics that people are implementing at this point, but what you don't really see is the amount of work that these highly successful guys are putting in in the off season. And you and I talked about, you know, when we were younger, how nice it would have been to be able to quantify that time so we could see, like, hey, how much, you know, what do I have to do to be that successful? So uh, for me this year, my goal is going to be right around 150 miles boots on the ground. And that's including shed hunting as well. But so scouting and shed hunting total is going to be roughly right about there. Um, I really have one general area that I'm going to dial in on, one piece. And it hunts really big. So there's the potential to have a lot of good deer there. I had a camera out for a couple of weeks and had a couple stud bucks on that camera. So I'm going to scout that really hard. I'm going to almost kind of like a grid style scout it because it's not your typical hill country where you have the points. It's mm -hmm. more of like rolling hills where there's just hundreds of them and it's all thick and there's water everywhere and there's food everywhere. So it's going to be a little bit different for me. I think it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge to dial in a buck. Um, and then I have one spot that I've really focused in on the last two years that I'm going to continue to focus on. And I've really got that. I mean, I ran almost 15 cameras two years in a row down there. So I have a really good idea of where a lot of these bucks are going, their travel routes. You know, I, I have the one spot in particular that October 28th to November 3rd, you're almost guaranteed to shoot 150 plus inch deer on, a, on this one scrape. Mm -hmm. because I've had five or six of them each year in those five days hit that straight. You know, it, building up that, uh, that, that annual intel is going to be a big thing and kind of just going off of that should help out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say um, looking just to, to kind of throw numbers out there or whatever. And I, I think the reason is because of me at age 18, 19, I was ate up with whitetails and uh, didn't have kind of the mentor or whatever to, to know, you know how to do it what how how to get on those higher caliber bucks and i think that's why i'm so stuck on presenting these numbers so that the the kid the college guy who, who, who's ate up with whitetails is, is is wanting to to kill these bucks knows okay that's roughly the time energy and effort that goes into to doing it at least the way we do um but you know for myself i'm probably going to be somewhere around 50 miles in the off season here in the shed shed scouting season normally i'm around 70 and I think a lot of that is just due to the family time. I've got some addiction stuff to, to get edited to probably this off season. So, um, and that's okay. I, I've got a couple areas where I know decent, um, but I can then turn around and hopefully rely on some in-season scouting to, to create the opportunity as well. 
Um, so that's kind of my goal. Um, Jake, what, oh, any sort of gear items that you feel are key to mention right now with, with miles getting put on from, from boots to what pack do you like any, anything like that? So honestly, I mean, I run a pretty cheap pack. I run a uh, Tenzing pack. It's really light. It's got a waist belt on it. I think any pack with a waist belt is important because it's going to take that pressure off your shoulders, which helps. And then it's going to like, if you're crawling through brush, it's not flopping around. You know, I do a lot of stuff where you're down on your hands and knees through thick brush. Just having a waist belt helps. Uh, a good set of binoculars and a bino harness are important to me because, you know, I can, if I kick up deer right now, I can kind of see what they are. If uh, I see a big rub off in the distance, you know, sheds, obviously it helps with that. So binos are really important to me. Obviously mapping, um, everything that I do revolves around either a topo map or an aerial map to some extent. So the maps are really important. I've been, I actually, right before the podcast, I spent a couple hours on Onyx again on my laptop, just diving through, trying to pick out some areas for tonight after the podcast, I'm going to go out. Yeah. But uh, You've talked about going away from Onyx. Yeah, and I, I have, and I kind of bounce back and forth. And that's, Onyx has the best user interface, I think, as far as dropping pins and scrolling through maps and stuff like that. But their, their offline maps for me seem to fail quite a bit. Either it quits tracking where I'm at or it freezes up and I can't load anything and I don't really know what ridge system I'm on. You know, I have a general idea and I always know how to get back, but I don't know like the specific point I'm on all the time. So maybe even carrying like a paper map would help, but I have noticed that HuntStand to me has some better aerial maps. They have uh, winter photography on there as well. So you can see like the, the trees that have leaves first pine trees and things like that, which helps out a lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, we came from the old HuntStand era where you would, uh, you would pull up a wildlife area or a forest map and you would draw in your, your lines on hunt stand. Uh, this is before the phones had you, you, you're, so your dot would be there, but no information was there. But if you drew lines before losing signal or whatever, it would hold them. So Dave and I back in the day would pull out a wildlife area map, right? And it would say this line here and you would take your little, uh, printed map and it would sell you an, an inch equals x number of yards so hunt stand you could draw a line that was x number of yards and so you would hand draw in and that way it'd get you close enough for for poking around that's what we used to do back in the day and um yeah that's 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 really key actually uh the mapping side of things let me ask this um have you ever thought about going no pack because then you can you're just walking quickly and your phone's charged enough that you don't have to worry and, and doing some sort of two, four mile loop um, and going no pack. Occasionally you hear elk guys talk about, yeah, I'm going to go no pack today just so I can move. Yeah. And I have before, I do a lot of that. There isn't on a certain ridge system. I'll run up on top of that ridge system. All right, Jake. So I got you back. What uh, you, you said you do glass up sheds and that surprised me or a good amount. Well, T tell me a little bit more yeah so a lot of them i mean i guess i i kind of what it does for me is i see a lot of things out there shed that look like a shed that might be 100 yards away and i can just pull up the binos and check it real quick as opposed to walking 100 yards out away and then coming back yeah so it seems like that helps me quite a bit uh, question, how, how diligent are you about scanning the ground? Because I have a buddy, uh, Larry, 
we kind of talk that sometimes we just like to, to move miles when we're out there and, and get stuff scouted. Cause if we find a shed, it's a bonus. The scouting is probably the main purpose. And he goes, eh, if I walk by a, oh, a small four point shed, that's not the end of the world. I, I kind of am only interested in picking up two and a half year olds and bigger. Yeah. I'm the same way. When I first started, me and my brother would go for just numbers in general. So we would set a goal of like 50 sheds a year and we would put on an unbelievable amount of miles until we hit that goal. But that was like, I mean, we're looking three to four feet in front of our feet, just looking for any antler. Right. Now it's, it's evolved quite a bit. I really, unless it's like a four point side with actual tines sticking up, I'll, I'll walk by them. A lot of times if I find small ones, I end up just putting them on hiking trails and stuff and hopefully somebody stumbles on one and then they become a shed hunter. So that's kind of a cool thing. Man, leaves them on the trail. That's funny. I, uh, I give the small ones to the dogs and, uh, I, I can't, uh, I can't bring myself. I have some that are like chewed up, like where they're probably like a year old. Um, one of my biggest sets is just like main beams, um, and squirrels just shredded everything else. And I can't, I, I keep them because I'm like, dude, this deer was a magnum, I, I, yeah, you know, yeah. but these sheds are junky. Oh yeah. Uh, I've got a couple of chewed up ones that are, they're just special, man. I can remember every shed I have laying around the house. I can tell you exactly where I found it, what the weather was like that day, everything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jake, we're coming up here on the, the 30-ish minute mark. Um, I, I think that's all I got for today. But like I said, I think you and I are going to talk on a more regular basis here in, in 2021, being the, uh, the new assistant co-host. We do miss Dave's rants, so we'll have to get him on and, and get, let him rip. Um, but, uh, you know, I, anything else you want to mention be, before we log off here today? No, I mean, the big thing is just, you know, hit us with questions and if you guys come up with anything. We'll try to make it a topic and spend a little bit of time on it. Yeah. Hopefully it, we can help out. You guys can help us in the process. Exactly. Yeah. Like I'm never uh, uh, afraid. I think actually some of our best download numbers come from just like Q and A's or topics guys submit. So yeah, we may do that a little more here in 2021. And I think my goal for the podcast in general is just an extension of, of what, um, you know, you and I bring to the table from content creation, but, but more of a, oh, maybe once a month to once every two week kind of thing. Um, you know, just, so I'm not killing myself to get it done, but, but I think you and I have these, these pretty cool conversations that the, the guys looking to evolve can, 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 can take and would want to listen to. Cause that's, that's what it's about. Like when I see, you know, the big name podcast and it's, it's a guy on food plots, I'm not, I'm not terribly interested. Um, but when it's, it's guys speaking on higher level tactics, small acreage to private land to mobile hunting, like that's, that, that fires me up. And so that's what this podcast, that's, that's the target consumer. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. Uh, by all means, uh, hit the subscribe button. Tell somebody about the podcast. Check out Jake's film on YouTube. Uh, Whitetail Experience. We've had a couple of YouTube videos kind of going out. Oh, one to two, three a month. Um, I'm, I'm hopefully going to start building my film here uh, really this month before I got to get big addictions uh, workload. So guys, appreciate you tuning in. Team Harder and Bucks, we're out. Oh, wait, we got shirts. Uh, your buddy Drew actually ordered a shirt. It's going to go out today. But yeah, I the, that first round of shirt orders will go out today. Um, Harder and Bucks, uh, guys dragging a, a buck past the public land sign on the back, kind of cool. Uh, if, you, if you need one of those, DM me, email me write a comment and we can get the, the ball rolling guys. Thanks for listening. We're out.